Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. It's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that women may be stronger than men in an unexpected way. Women seem to have a higher threshold for mutations. There are way more men diagnosed with autistic spectrum disorders than there are women. Actually, there's about five times as many autistic guys than there are women. And when scientists tried to figure out why, they came across this weird fact that it takes a higher number of genetic mutations for a female to show symptoms of any neurodevelopmental disorder. So in other words, women have more built-in resilience to genetic mutation than men do. It turns out us men, we're, we're delicate flowers, apparently. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest on Bulletproof Radio is a neuroscientist, a New York Times bestselling author with over 4 million books sold, and a leading high-performance business strategist. He's also a personal friend, a guy I met through Joe Polish, who's one of the world's top marketing trainers who's really helped me out. 
Robert Cooper serves as CEO of Cooper Neuroscience Lab and Cooper Strategic, a global consulting firm that draws on a peak performance database with more than a million leaders, professionals, and teams. So Robert's spent a long time, and we've talked about this over dinner, uh, looking at what makes these high performers perform well, putting it into a database and quantifying it and making it teachable. He's spent many years working with these kinds of elite performers. Robert and I sat down right after his keynote address at the third annual Bulletproof Biohacking Conference, and we had this amazing conversation. It's really cool to be able to talk to someone face-to-face instead of uh, through the interwebs. So you see this really authentic, amazing conversation, and it's almost like you can't even tell it's a podcast because it's just so personal. This may be one of the most popular episodes of Bulletproof Radio. I think when people hear it, they're just going to be blown away. So let me know what you think about it. Robert and I talk about the neuroscience of how to target or how to aim your brain. We talk about how to hack the hardwired human nature that can limit your performance. And we talk about how to build new habits that burn better programs literally into the structure of your brain. You can learn more about Robert's work at cooperstrategic.com. And as always, thanks for listening to Bulletproof Radio and enjoy the show. Robert, you just finished your keynote presentation at the 2015 Bulletproof Conference, and I grabbed you on your way out and just harangued you into coming to be a guest on Bulletproof Radio here. The reason that I'm doing this is it'd be really cool to hear kind of the download from your presentation, but more in something that people who are at work or driving their cars or maybe hopefully watching on our YouTube channel uh, can just pick up the things you were talking about. So let's talk about the Brain Performance Code. Sure. What is the Brain Performance Code? So the brain has this powerful embedded kind of performance code, and we we have it from birth. It's a performance code designed for a world of about 2,000 years ago. That would be a good guess. And so it's for a world that doesn't doesn't exist anymore. And the challenge is you can ignore this code and just hope for the best. And what we find in our research, though, is in, in today's world you can learn to program it. So you can learn to actually start guiding your brain to make small adjustments in how much you focus on your top priorities, your biggest goals, your true potential, but the brain will not do this on its own. That's the bad news. The downside is unless you guide it, not happening. So then how do you aim your brain? So a couple of ways. I mean, first you have to see how it's actually trying to run you. So the brain, you have to have a sense of humor. I mean, the brain, it's hardwired nature, (laughs) you know, is, is, you know, your brain is not your friend. Your brain is looking for comfort, it loves to automate things, it's, it's built to react, it can only focus in short bursts of attention. So the key is to see what it tends to do. And then the workaround that we use uh, above the brain's hardwiring, so hardwiring is what we tend to do and how we default. Above that is something called live wiring. So live wiring is basically neuroplasticity, meaning the brain is reshaping itself in real time all the time, it's called live wiring. So by what you think, what you do, you listen to Bulletproof Radio, you're becoming a different person, and we could see it inside the brain. It's changing. But the question then becomes directional, because in biology, nothing stays the same. So you're either growing or dying. And so with live wiring, we were intrigued with wondering, all right, in what direction are you live wiring? So we, in our research, looked at what was the brain going to automatically do? It'll automatically downwire. And downwire means... You maybe were growing up until a moment ago, and now you're just repeating. You're settling in, you're reacting the way you react, you're rigidifying, and you're essentially just becoming more of that's just the way I am. That's downwiring. Upwiring is this, uh, it, it parallels your upgrade concept really well, I think. You know, upwiring for us is you're leaning into possibilities where it matters. You're becoming different on purpose. So it's the possibility to, to observe a way that you um, increase your energy, 
you're doing something a little deeper or something a little different than before and it's better. You're upwiring. And by noticing that, you make it what's called in neuroscience a first attention priority for the brain, which would be the goal. You're tipping yourself into living more and more of your days upwiring as opposed to downwiring. And it gives you all these possibilities then to say no to the things that don't matter, spend more of the right time on the things that do matter. Okay, so that, that's a lot to take in. Yeah. In terms of spending more time on things that matter and less time on things that don't matter. Sure. You said something really important. You said your brain is not your friend. Correct. And, and I agree with you there. Like, like your brain yeah. is, it'll do all sorts of crap when you're not looking. Like, like <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> it has a mind of its, it's own. It's a comedy act. Yeah, it is, it is. It's an improv show just kind of <laughs> running amok. Yeah. So, so you've got this, this brain in there that has its own agenda that isn't your agenda. Correct. And I think for most people, that alone is kind of like, seriously. Sure. I didn't know this about myself until I really got into neurofeedback. And you mm -hmm. can see when, when yeah. you're like looking yeah. at yourself with an external monitor, like, totally. oh my God, what's really going on in there? And, and it's not you. <laughs> but when you, when you aim the brain like that, yeah. like, like, how do I do that? Like, like okay, there's light sure. wiring, there's up wiring. Sure. Downwiring, um, of course. So, and then in my case, cross wiring. But uh. oh, probably. <laughs> probably there's every kind of wiring. Probably. But, right? but how do you how yeah. do you really aim it? Like, I think everyone so, listening yeah. to this cares. Well, so what's interesting about that is you're aiming you're, you're aiming your brain toward what you can become. Okay. Right. And what your brain wants to do is repeat what you've been. Right. So that's okay. the way to think about it. So your brain is it, it it's facilitating more and more frequently what's naturally you, how you react, and, and it becomes automatic. So the brain's goal is the automatic you just does what the automatic you does. Upwiring is this conscious leaning into what's possible. So if you're having an interaction with someone, upwiring could be you're simply at a point where you would normally just shut down and react or have an opinion. You stay curious a few, months, a few moments longer. You listen a little deeper. That alone is changing you. I mean, you're, you're starting to notice possibilities. You're setting the context a little bit differently and your nervous system is following. So then you come out of that, I mean, you're actually learning in real time is essentially what this is. And when we lean into any kind of new learning that's real, and, I, and acquiring information mm -hmm. is not learning, but leaning into real learning is, and what happens is the brain actually holds onto it. It's, it's, it's upwiring. And now okay. you come out the other side more able to sense differently with your senses than before. That's what upwiring does. You're, you're more tuned into what matters and what doesn't how you might be able to make more of a difference or not, what's a priority to you that you would normally get too busy and you'd miss. So upwiring starts to tip your awareness, your best instincts toward catching moments when you can guide your life and your work better than before. So, so really it's, it's about building attention, Correct. And just noticing those moments. Well, and, and dozens of times a day, these are those moments of these very small slices of time when an extra moment of attention, pausing, just disconnecting your mind instead of staying so on the whole time mm -hmm. can change everything. And so it does. The best instincts start to notice where those opportunities are. And it's dozens of times a day for all of us. So, so this gets into something that I, I know you know about, this passive mode or default mode sure. in, in the brain. And, and it's, sure. it's what's going on in there when you're not doing stuff. Right. How important is that? You know, it's, it's intriguing. We're just learning more about that. I mean, it feels like we, we know very little about it compared to what we'll know a few years yeah. from now, which is interesting. So you bump into something new and suddenly you're thinking it's amazing and then you suddenly realize we, we really don't know much right now. You know, I'd build this case that, that what we set in motion, we, we had a, a, one of the focus points in the, the keynote this morning in the question and answer session was the first 22 minutes of the day, how you start your day. 
sets all kinds of things in motion. And what it's doing is it's also signaling subconsciously. You have, you have all these brain and nervous system processes running continually around the clock. You know, we heal when we sleep. Primarily, there are all these, these, these things happening that we were really not aware of before. So the goal we have, I think, as, as the folks guiding the brain is, is try to set the stage so we have the best kind of processes going on subconsciously. And a lot of the passive modes, I mean, there are healing loops that happen. There are, there are daring loops that happen. People that are, that are learning how to face the challenge better and better, they're actually becoming so subconsciously, no time spent on it, just your nervous system process is running because you trip the switch, you set a tone, you set something in motion, and all of a sudden, during your busy day, you're becoming more than you were before. And that's a lot of the work that you do anyway. You make one small change, and you start to see it ripple across other parts of someone's life. So you get these amplifications of it. Yeah. I, I have a, a theory. Yeah. We'll call it a belief. And okay. it's, it's things I've teased out from my own 10 weeks of neurofeedback for many hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that a lot of creativity and intuition happens during passive mode or default mode or, or when we're not paying attention. Sure. Not when you're necessarily even actively daydreaming, but like the ideas happen when you're not focused mm -hmm. on something. Sure. And the problem is that that's when you don't remember stuff. So it's the act of being able to remember when sure. you're not doing anything sure. that is really the challenge. And, and I've actually worked, I have some custom software um, that I, I have at home where I've worked on training wow. myself in specifically to be able to remember what's going on in there. And I, I feel like it's really changed my creativity. But like you said, research about what's going on in there is really hard to do because we, we like to pay attention. And I can easily have a day where I pay attention all the time because I have EAs who arrange it in my average day. It's like 15 minute slices and, and it's like, okay, there's no time to pee You're in doing the calendar. The short burst. Right? Yeah. But even then, like, like I will stop for two minutes, right? Yeah. You take a little break at the end of the hour, I'll stand sure. on a vibrating platform and intentionally not check my email, yeah. right? Not yeah. do the next task because yeah. like stuff, important yeah. stuff like ideas and inventions and uh, topics for another yeah. radio show, all those things yeah. have to come out somewhere. Well, and, and two quick builds on that really interesting. I mean, one is this mind on, mind off research that keeps looking at how, how we're, we're actually not very good at either fully engaging or fully disengaging from anything. So we say stuck in the middle. So like you described, that ability to actually consciously disengage it's really rejuvenating to the whole nervous system, not just the brain. But we don't do it, so we're kind of half on, half off, which is really fatiguing for the brain and nervous system. So I think that more purposeful, really leaning in and engaging, and then after a brief stretch of, of deep focus, purposefully stepping away and disengaging. And even using the word done, one study pointed out, really helps the brain switch away from and then recharge from what it was doing. So Otherwise, you're stuck. Done. Just staying done. All right. Just saying done. And you can, get, you can come back to it, but just the word done somehow liberates the brain to let go, and otherwise somehow it's holding on and it gets fatigued. Wow. Another, another study, really interesting, we, we do this research on, on being what we call totally on. So if you could look at mindfulness really dialed into the max, and in an apex operating system where you're really, all the elements are right, you're totally engaged, and then we build in, inside what we call prime time, so your best natural time of day. We build these islands of focus where you're, you're just hyper-productive. In, in short bursts, you can be really effective across a range of priorities. Other research, though, showed how interesting this is not a, an island of creativity. If you want to be creative, you actually need a dose of fatigue. So two new studies looked at you know, needing to be a little tired then your most creative self shows up. And, I, and it makes sense to me, it's interesting. So you need to think differently. I, 
I think the useful tool is think of islands of focus as times when you can really zero in. An island of creativity is when you're just a bit tired, you can step back and the creativity really rolls. Your point on, you know, how do you remember? It's intriguing because more and more studies that we're looking at, for example, point out that, that the most creative entrepreneurs in the world, for example, and some of the best leaders, they still make notes on paper. They still they do every form of note making. Like they kind of array their environment with ways that when they have a thought, you want to yeah. get it out of your mind really, really quickly. You wake up in the night, the ability to write down a thought, because you're right, they'll go away. Now, I'm a, a little odd there. I, I have Homer Simpson handwriting, I always okay. have. Yeah. And I used to keep prodigious notes uh, yeah. when I was a tech entrepreneur, just binders and, and oh, yeah. notebooks and all that stuff. Yeah. But they're annoying. And sure. there is something to be said about the power of moving a pen, putting a pen to paper, sure. and that's why journaling is so powerful. Sure. And they still tell you don't, don't type. Yeah. However, I've done, I used to do that with typing yeah. a long way, but the last few years, I actually use my phone. Hmm? But I don't type it on the phone because that's annoying. I use right. Siri. Sure. And I believe that there's actually more power in the voice than there is in the written word. I would agree with you. So no, the idea of, of taking the idea and I speak it into the phone and then it types it for me. So now I've got the written word, but I actually like, like the power of intone, whatever, you know, now we're getting all metaphysical or whatever. Yeah, but, but then you but, can riff on it. You go off with a couple different phrases. Yeah, and, yeah. It, exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. the idea sure. of thinking about it, putting sure. it into the words, sure. making the for vocal sure. cords, I think that triggers memory and it triggers action in sure. a way that's different than journaling. I would but agree. I don't know if it's better. <laughs> well, I, and I think they're different. I think the pen in the hand um, lights up a different kind of creative interaction. And if it's only writing words, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. If you're actually sketching, doodling, and there's a number of studies on doodling, whether or not you're a good yeah. artist, you know, I'm not. But, mm -hmm. but even any kind of a sketch, it, it, it's lighting up different neural processes that allow at least a certain dimension of your creativity to shine. Okay. I'd build a case, though, that our, our greatest humanity is through the voice, right? So the mm -hmm. ability to take Dropbox or an app, an app even, just to just put the voice somewhere. You're out of time, but you have a great thought. And I, I just, it, it's intriguing to look at, at how much of our, how many of our most creative moments never lead anywhere because they just vaporize. Mm -hmm. We kind of ran past them. Remember that I had that thought and we can't quite yeah. grasp it again. So I think the ability to capture, and I think it's probably a combination of media, a combination of ways. Yeah. But voice makes sense to me, and I love the voice part too. The, the other thing I do that, that is pretty much because I, I want a central bucket is I send <laughs> myself an email, yeah. and I usually copy someone on my team who will then take action with the idea, yeah. which is like a really simple way. If you'll say, well, sure. how come you're doing all this stuff, like conferences and documentaries and books and, and radio shows <laughs> and, and just kind of a whirlwind of activities? Because all these ideas, like get it out. Yeah. Like I speak it, yeah. it becomes word, and then it yeah. goes into the system that yeah. I've carefully built to help bring yeah. the ideas, at least the ones that don't suck, <laughs> to yeah. life, because not all yeah. ideas are good. Now, but you know, the, the way you're doing it, Dave, is interesting, because I think the, that ability in real time to take your best instincts and convey a message from them to the people that can help as you're moving projects forward, it's huge. And I think human beings have this idea, there's this illusion that somehow, you know, we'll remember everything, we won't, Mm -hmm. uh, just try going for a run with, with no way to record or write anything and try to remember nine things. And by the time you finish a run, it's really hard to string those nine yeah. things together. So the ability to have a system in place like the one you're building where you can just, you can just upload quickly thoughts, ideas, questions. The team also, I build, I build the backside case that the team is also then more connected to in real time 
what you're building. And yeah. I think a lot of leaders, that's a problem. And they hold on to way too much stuff. Then they have some big, long meeting. Everyone else in the team didn't know what they were thinking. And all of a sudden, we're all, we're all, we're all looking at everything. You're feeding it continually to a team of people so they can process it, they can react. I think it's a brilliant way to do it. There's also the question of prioritizing it all because uh, I mean, you work a lot with CEOs and leaders, sure. which is, is intriguing. But the problem is, you know, well, it, the boss said, uh, I, I'm constantly telling everyone at Bulletproof, I'm like, I'm like, look guys, here's the deal. I say all kinds of crap, but if, if they say like, I'm gonna do what the CEO wants, I'm like, oh great, because I want lasers from space. Could you do right. that real quick? Like, like, like I want lots of things, but just because I want it doesn't actually mean it's valid. How do you guide leaders and people in positions of authority who want lots of stuff to prioritize all these crazy ideas that come out of their heads? Sure. Well, I mean, so there's always this doability scale. And, yeah. you know, so to me, you know, you, a lot of the work we do is, is, is on this high performance business strategy side where you've got to have a longer view that, that, like a big picture that knits together everything. If you have a way that you can assemble by priority, by, by top goals versus nice to have sub goals, task priorities, and visually can help there because you have a way, I call it an array, you, you can have an array of priorities and, and projects that are all exciting. Yeah. Some are on the side burner now, but they're in view. You can think of whiteboards on a wall where you're not gonna action everything, but if you have it in view, we call it an idea bank sometimes with, with leaders mm -hmm. where you don't get it all, but you wanna have within reach all of it. Sometimes one idea will align with another one. You know, one of your ideas for some kind of a product could bump into another idea and together they, they form an even better kind of a product. But if you don't have a place that that array of what's in the works, like just, just rough ideas going nowhere, notes over here, projects here, here's what we're checking the box on our calendar next year, because you're already mm -hmm. into next year. I'd suggest maybe even five years out, if you could you know, reimagine what, what a biohacking conference could be, you start just note making and, and sort of envisioning a complete reset of what that mm -hmm. could be globally. And you're not there now, but every new idea that could help hmm. you recreate what that becomes, it will take five years to have the senses of everything you experience in the world and everybody you meet mm -hmm. kind of shine their own little light into what that five-year completely transformed electrifying event could be. And what I watch leaders doing, though, is the timelines are getting pulled in too tight. They're actioning this quarter, getting through this year. They have a little bit of a plan for next year, but it, they, they would say they have a plan. But to me, they're blind after that. And we live in a world where I think a lot of what you should be doing now to prioritize is informed by what five years from now is gonna rock the world. So there's mm. this kind of echo back where maybe even once a month, the ability to take what you now see as the top priorities for Bulletproof, you lay it up against the grid of you know biohacking and Dave Asprey changed the world. And there are a lot of elements you, you haven't bumped into yet that I bet you will. Those should be on that board. And you just that there's a kind of echoing that goes back and forth, and I think it'll up it will upgrade to use your word. What happens for next year is everything, but you'll be in this lab. It's like Apple right now is uh, supposedly working. So this is this is just I'll, I'll pose it as a possibility on iPhone eight and nine, right? And we're you know we're we're not even seven's not out, right? right? They're on eight and nine, maybe they're on ten, and the reason they do that is. The, the folks that have made often the most mistakes on the earlier iPhones are working on the more advanced iPhones because they test better. But also the, that design, by stretching that far out, informs the next design. Right. So I'm just curious. I mean, I think you're wrestling with so many big things. And, I, and so the leaders I work with, I really want them thinking, 
when you tell me these are your priorities for the next 90 days, the next year, I'd like to have you paint that picture for me in the picture of in five years how you're going to rock the world. So, so twice I've run strategic planning for companies with north of a billion dollars in revenue, yeah. which yeah. Uh, just as you know, VP of yeah. strategic planning kind of roles, yeah. um, publicly traded stuff. And I can tell you no five-year strategic plan, even that from for GE, sure. it has sure. even a, a rat's I don't know, I was going to find some piece of a rat that was small, but... Correct, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but... I heard you. I but basically, they, they have yeah. no bearing in reality. Yeah. Let, let's yeah. put it that way. Like, yeah. okay, we think... But we didn't yeah. know airplanes were going to fly into buildings. Like, we right. didn't know that the economy was going to do this. Yeah. And so, they're, yeah. they're basically fantasy. Well, now he, but he'd re, here would be the difference to me. And I hear okay. you, because I'd build a case. If we took, if we took the Global 1000 and we looked at <laughs> strategic plans, I'm thinking, they're, they're all that fantasy. was a waste of time. Yeah, like, exactly. that didn't go... That, Did that you want bombs up or top down? They're both fantasy, but we can do it both ways, right? The whole thing didn't work. But if you picked... The strategic plans that I think have legs under them, they've been thought through deeper. Coca-Cola built a 2020 vision that had it, they just built a 2020-50 vision with all their wrestling with to try to, you know, yeah. help the world, the environment. Help the world have more high all fructose that. corn syrup. Yeah, well, you know, that's <laughs> it, it, trying to overcome, trying to trying to deal with whatever part of that, you know, you know they can be part of the solution. They, they can fix the it. They have so much power. I, I, yeah, I don't mean to pick that. on Coke but, or anything. But, it, it's but actually the, important that they're doing the work. But, but the idea that, you know, in 2050, but the difference for them that I saw was everything that was out there that far had to be actionable within, within a realistic view of now. So the bridge they built was different. What that meant was you could feel yourself, it would take an awful lot of work and creativity, you could feel yourself living yourself into that vision. Yeah. Where most strategic plans are just like dartboards, you know, thrown you know, on high. So you're getting back into some of the stuff that, that I talked about yesterday in my talk about happiness at the yeah. conference. It is, it, it's about vision and like yeah. knowing the direction. And, yeah. and that's where I, I guide uh, the team at Bulletproof yeah. and myself is, I don't know what's gonna happen in five years. Yeah. I know directionally it, what's sure. gonna happen. But my, sure. my whole career, Robert, has been kind of frustrating because I'm generally a really good futurist in terms of picking direction, yeah. but I always think it's gonna happen sooner. I, yeah. I gave a quote, so I'm the first guy to sell anything over the internet. Like the first e-commerce ever was a caffeine t-shirt uh, out of my dorm room at UC Santa Barbara <laughs> before the web browser existed. It was sold over Usenet. And that was like written and where about, is that t-shirt now? Do you uh, I still have one of them and there's a copy <laughs> of it that says now with butter, it's, we're selling at the conference now. Um, and it, it's it's kind of a funny thing, but yeah, it's, it's still in my, in my I wear it on weekends, right? It's a little, little fuzzy now. but. Okay, I gave a quote to I think the Miami Herald or someone when I was like 22 and had no idea what I was doing, and I, I'm like, you know, in in five years, we won't have any like any paper catalogs anymore because they're so yeah. dumb and they're expensive and they kill trees. Yeah. Okay, it's like 20 something years later, right. Amazon is kind of kicking some ass, right? Direction, well, I was right, but we still have like a gazillion pounds of paper plus catalogs. This last direct mail, so if you send something, people see it. I mean, it's like, wait, what's wrong with this picture? Yeah, well, and so to me, it's more the exercise. So, so okay, it's the exercise and the, the direction. That it's, you, it's, okay. it, for sure, it's the direction because it most it has to be this personally okay. compelling direction for you. But the exercise of having to mirror, mm -hmm. and the question we use with leaders is is on everything they're building now is where does this lead? Where does it fit in the mm -hmm. big picture, and where does it lead? If you can't paint that picture for me, that this opens a door from where you are now, that you can just build a line of logic now for me. If you can paint a picture that this where this leads, positions bulletproof to win a set of other opportunities in a completely different arena that you, where you want to have a presence. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that would set in motion that opportunity. You're, now you're giving me a glimpse of where this could lead. lead. It doesn't mean it will lead there. So you want to set the direction, vision's huge, but the ability even in your current priority planning to force yourself to say, where does this lead in the next five years? And 
what I mostly look for are opportunities. I'd build a case that you're surrounded by what I would call an opportunity landscape. And most of those will become, with regret, later what we call unseen missed opportunities. You'll look back saying, oh my, like we were right next to that. <laughs> and it, it was, it was a multi-billion dollar, you know, huge. And, and all we had to do, one more meeting, one more connection. We had an ally. They could have, it would have been. And so the leaders I work with and entrepreneurs, they call those, uns, I call those unseen missed opportunities. They hurt. So then I flipped, the, I flipped the lens and now we're looking forward and I say, so one of the commitments is we wanna be awake enough when we plan and we connect the dots between today and the future that we're, we're sensing more unseen opportunities. We would normally miss them. So what are the fields you might wanna have an influence in? So in the course of this next year, what's the door you can open? That could be part of a five-year plan. It's really actionable. And otherwise you get five years now saying, I wish we had a presence in education or something. And you, you could have built it through a short, small series of meetings and, and alliances, you got too busy. Mm -hmm. So that's what that, that five year view does for okay. me is I watch in a year, a dozen doors open that wouldn't, wouldn't have opened. And then two years later, suddenly your launch pad is at a higher level to take advantage of things. And that's the goal for me versus a, okay. some inane strategic plan no one's gonna read. Got it, so, so you yeah. can have a 12% quarterly growth, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, All right, yeah, I get exciting. you there. Yeah. Now we kind of got off topic from what you presented on stage, but that's because mm. I get to pick your brain. I think everyone's enjoying yeah. this conversation. Yeah. But I wanna get back to yeah, some ahead. of the things. Yeah. You talked about how to build a new habit in 59 seconds, yeah. but not 60. Yeah. Right, give me the 59 second habit building tip. So interesting, building a habit in 59 seconds. This comes out of Richard Wiseman's research. Mm -hmm. And our Douglas Fields uh, is, is the three rep rule. So th there are two contrasts here. One is um, our Douglas Fields research would say you want three repetitions separated by, by 10 minutes each. Yeah. So that's what it takes because it allows, it, that takes time in the nervous system to uptake the new habit or skill. So the key is you're going to have a, a motivation for why you want to build a new habit. It has to lead somewhere. So you have yeah. to have some emotion. So you have to have the reason for doing exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. Then you'll have a skill, some kind of new skill or tool, what are you building? So it'll be something. And so the brain has this illusion that once you build it, then it will just happen when you wanna have it happen. Well, the illusion though is as you're building a habit, you wanna, we call it presetting. You wanna preset or prime where you use it. You wanna imagine where in your busy life or work you'd use this habit. That basically primes the brain for noticing when it should fire for the first time this habit. If you don't do that, 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 new, that new habit you have is so weak, it'll never take hold, right? So part of building the habit is glancing ahead and presetting where you will first use it, if not right now, right? So that's the first thing. Then, you know, you do a dry run on the habit. What's it feel like? So I, for, it could be a split second pause that we okay. teach, right? So I'm gonna put an instant of delay. Traffic slows down, I tend to react. You know, beat the steering wheel, curse, whatever someone does, not productive, you can't afford the helicopter, whatever your, mm -hmm. you know, your thing is. And so the new habit might be, so I want to learn how to, how to use a split second pause. And okay. a split second pause is an instant of delay. You get your bearings back and then you choose your response. And it can all happen in a split of a yeah. second. So you imagine traffic slowing down anywhere. You're just about to, to react the way you normally react. And you imagine yourself going through a split second pause. So right before you beat in the wheel and curse, you pause for an instant, an instant of delay. You just get your bearings back. I'm in traffic. I've got this new skill. Let me, let me you know, just pause for a little bit longer. And so all of a sudden, you've got the nervous system hooking this new habit. So in, in actually less than a minute, so you structure it, you imagine where you place it, and then as you use it the first time, 
it's, it's a simple enough tool or a skill that the uptake is really, really quick and it starts to become you because that pause yeah. buys this breathing space in the brain that heads off the reaction and all of a sudden in real time, the neuroplasticity path would say you're becoming something different. You're, it's easier to stay calm a little longer. Maybe I don't curse and suddenly now I'm, I'm becoming something different in the car as traffic slowed down. So it's a good example. There's something else that happens there. A lot of people during that pause, they'll speak. And they mm -hmm. usually say things like, um, ah, uh, uh. And I believe that when you do that, you're actually turning off some of the pause. Like you're, you're filling it with something because you felt you had to do. And <laughs> that's, that's, that's actually neurologically harmful to yeah. do. So a pause yeah. is actually a pause of it's silence. A pause. It it's is a pause not a silence. pause where you're filling the pause with noise. The right. noise is the problem, right? Well, and, and it's, Dave, it's a great point because it's interesting, you know, in, in the quiet, the nervous system can focus on the change. Mm -hmm. in, in the chaos, it can't. So, you, you know, you're in some kind of disco, you know, there's music going everywhere and you're trying to pause. Yeah. It gets harder and harder and harder. Yes. So and it's a great, that's a really good, you make a really good point. That ability to be just quiet for a moment, the stillness also, there's it, it a different kind of anchoring or hooking in the nervous system in the quiet. If you watch me speak on stage uh, during this conference, I'm guessing you probably saw about zero ums. I might have said an uh or something here or there at the mm -hmm. beginning, which is just a bad habit. <laughs> but for the most part, I would put myself at, at an exceptionally low number. And it's because I've cultivated for years the ability to have the pause and to think of what I'm going to say. And here's the funny thing. When you do it, people listen more because right. there was a pause. It actually makes you a better communicator. It's amazing. It's amazing. No, it's amazing. And the, the three repetition rule would be you could do a dry run on that pause, not in traffic. Imagine you're in your car and mm -hmm. you would just do it three times. You, you, you imagine this quiet instant of delay. So, so in your car, if you're not doing the quiet of delay, you're swearing at the guy or throwing right. the finger, right? Right. So you don't do that. No, no, no. It's right, right before that. You allow your nervous system to go right up to the moment where your brain is basically saying, here I go again, right? Yeah. You're, you're right in the beginning of that cascade, that default into you're just losing it. That's the moment where you, you'll plant this new habit, this, okay. this example of this pause. And to imagine yourself, you can vividly imagine yourself doing it three times. That's powerful. So there's a quick uptake there. Um, once you do it for the first time, it's amazing to me, and, and in the quiet again, where you just break this like a runaway bullet train of, of neural reactions where you've just interrupted it enough. It's like a periscope pops up in the nervous system. It's like suddenly mm -hmm. you're able to observe yeah. what's really happening and, and that ties into that third person observation skill that we we taught that you really want to cultivate this ability also to to move through your busy days like you're sitting on your shoulder watching how you tend to do what yeah. you do because now you can guide it because almost everyone's in this first person tunnel you're just here i go again here's how i react and now i have to do this versus i'm observing how am i interacting with that question with this challenge with this opportunity i go to weird lengths to Develop powers of self-observation, and, and neurofeedback <laughs> has, has done a lot there. But I have this this new thing I'm playing with, and I don't want to get your take on this uh, as a neuroscientist. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I have a uh, virtual reality goggles, you know, heads-up display, yeah. and they're fed from a camera, right? and you either have someone follow you around with the camera or just mount it up high. So you're actually watching yourself from behind you mm -hmm. when you're doing something. So literally your powers of self-observation, <laughs> when you're standing there with your eyes open, you see yourself and you can sort of play yourself like a video game. Yeah. Uh, am I gonna go nuts? 
Uh, you're, you're, well, you're probably not going to go nuts. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people would need some kind of you know outside help, um, just because of it's sort of the severity, of the contrast. It's pretty I mean, big. Yeah, because yeah, we're not we're not used to that. So, uh, a friend of mine and a colleague, Jim Margraf, runs a company called iFluence. I don't know if you know Jim. I do. Um, so he created the LiveScribe Pen. Oh and, yeah, uh, I, 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 just, I and tried that. that back. But his new company, iFluence, they're 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 growing really fast, and and he. He's working on kind of the Google Glass world of eye and brain. So your eye actually moves yeah. everything. So L looking when we step into that, eye, yeah. At, yeah. And, but the eye then controls everything. It controls mm -hmm. the computer, but not the old way. Not, it's, it, it literally is so intuitively correct for how the brain works. And he's got a series of, of proprietary breakthroughs he's making. I mean, it's very cool. He and I were talking the other day. And so he's into the, the virtual reality world and then artificial intelligence kind of right behind it. And they're testing all kinds of headsets and working. But what's coming is super exciting to me. This ability to actually enter into experientially learning, you know, with an author, with a book, with a yeah. with a weight, just learning itself will shift forever because it'll become visceral. It'll become, you know, the uptake in the nervous system where we could experience learning, not not words just on a page. We become different just in that experience. It's like having a great mentor. I mean, they change us just by how they listen. They didn't even say anything, and we're we're shifting and going deeper and we're changing by having them present. So what's coming, I think, with technology and with neuroscience is the ability to take what you've been doing, kind of watching yourself from behind, which is intriguing. And the same thing with watching yourself from above, um, you can take different vantage points. You know, the point that I'd add to that in experience would be to almost have you treat it like a laboratory where the working question live while you're doing this is what am I sensing here that I can apply when the headset's not on? Yeah. So you're trying, you're actually asking your nervous system to pick up a kind of observation power the headset can teach you that it'd be hard to learn any other way, so. What I haven't done yet is a yoga class in it. Interesting. And that's what I want to really do. So the only inputs I'm getting are, what does it look like from, from behind and what does it feel like? So then I have to focus more on the feel like, but I can see when my leg is at an odd angle that I wouldn't sense because you can't see your leg yeah. when you're pointing forward. Stuff like that, where, where like there's ways to build awareness yeah. using tech that just didn't yeah. exist five years ago. Yeah. And it's so, so and it's very it, no, it's very cool. And you look at this in the world of, of you know, I fly a jet. You look at a jet jet pilots mm -hmm. and can we that ability to train um, in a virtual reality setting in a simulator where literally, I mean, it, it's it's sometimes even more real than real for different reasons. And what that does for skill uptake, it's amazing. So very cool stuff. So. Let's talk about a 90% failure rate for top oh, yeah. goals oh, and passionate God. commitments. What's up with that? That's oh, part of your topic. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it was bothering me. So this summer, we, I had some colleagues say to me, let's wrestle this summer with a, a topic that really, you know, everybody's going to have an interest in. And so let's take, and I always, I've always loved myths and facts. Like we'll take a conventional thinking concept and then kind of completely, you know, completely shoot, shoot it full of holes, you know, based on the latest research. And, and conventional thinking has this way of persisting way past its point of value. Mm -hmm. So we started digging around saying, you know, hey, how did we not know that nine out of 10 big goals are, you know, fail and 98% of passionate commitments fail. And we do know that. We, have we do know that, yeah, there's data, data under that. both okay. those cuts. Yeah, it's, the, it's the, the Change Anything Labs did a series of studies and, and it's really disappointing. So I mean, you just you took the this. wind out of everyone's sails. Jeez. You know, that was thanks, like no fun. Yeah, gee, thanks, man. <laughs> so, that, so then we said, look, so there's got to be, what are we missing? So we had a lot of fun. Uh, we started with 2,000 studies the last five years. We picked 120 
from the 2000, they, they all had to have some practical application in the studies. And we just started reconstructing how would you set a goal differently, how would you pursue it, you know, how would you track the progress that could completely turn this. And we had a lot of fun with it. So it's amazing how wrong we get it. I mean, I had, there, was a, there was a moment in one of our, our team meetings where, where we were saying, you know, kind of, what if you knew that personally everything you thought you knew about setting and achieving goals was exactly wrong? And we rarely use the phrase exactly wrong. But that was our feeling, that we got it completely wrong. You know, the hmm. kind of getting huge audacious goals, you know, you just need to really ramp them up and kind of the more um, superhuman they feel, that's a really good thing. And then you look at dozens of studies and, and meta-analyses looking at how that, that little tip into fantasy erodes everything. But, but isn't, we just talked about having a big vision and a five-year plan. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, talking, we're, talk, we're talking about kind of going, you know, no, we're talking about, you know, it's, it's kind of the win the lottery, you know. Oh, it, so, so the ones that are the assume. So my, my lasers from space? That's you probably call, in the fantasy. No, that, that's probably that's probably I'm in calling the, Richard Branson. You, you can call him. <laughs> For Richard, that maybe isn't, that maybe isn't fantasy. But it's, you know, it's an interesting line, Dave, to me, where, you know, you set these goals um, in a way that they really stretch you. They're, you, you, they're really compelling. And you don't do too many of them. It's that vital number. It's the ability to pull out of what we call the goal traffic jam in the head. What's the handful? And, and they okay. can change. I mean, week to week or month to month, they can change. But any one time, you know, four is a good number or five. Side by side, you can action those. You can move the needle on those. You get too many more than that, the brain just can't do it. It can admire them. And, and then nothing really happens. Okay. So, so then, then the, other, you know, the other application points for goals, the complete flips, like keep them covert versus announcing them. That's intriguing. What happens when you do that? Um, when, you, when you publicly, we used to think if you could publicly announce your goal to as many people as possible, that would create a kind of commitment and because you said it yeah. and accountability. The studies show actually though, by, by announcing it publicly, what happens is the brain goes into this illusion state where it actually enjoys just hanging out and talking about announcing yeah. your goal, and that undermines taking and any action. It's ego, and then you get fear of failure, right? So if oh, you yeah, take yeah. action, so the you flip won't side, do it. So yeah. the flip side is, so none of that is a good picture. So the idea that, that if it's really a big goal that matters to you, hold it kind of close to, in general, there are exceptions to this, but hold it close to a, a small circle of friends or, or colleagues or family, um, or just keep it yourself, and it'll grow stronger faster. So wow, cool that's counterintuitive, like that. isn't it? Yeah, no, totally. And the same thing with, with the, the research on self-talk that as we're trying to encourage ourselves, you know, we, we tend to do it a lot of different ways, and there have been some studies on self-talk, but Ethan Cross's work on the fact that psychological distance, this ability to be calmly guiding your best self forward, comes when you use your first name in self-talk. So this ability to stop saying, you know, I need to work on my goal, and instead say, Robert, let's work on the goal, shifts everything. I mean, wow. you put your first name in self-talk. In this study, Ethan Cross looked at LeBron James. They were tracking mental messaging and, and elite athletes around the world. And when they used their first name, world records were set. When they didn't, they choked. And the wow. ability to watch that shift and think, oh, it's interesting. It's like first-person-centered tunnels you in. You just doubt creeps in faster. You feel a little isolated. Where you use your first name, you can get detached enough. It tends to really work. So that's interesting. What, what about use of words? Like you said something yeah. there. You said you try to do this, and on, yeah. I have this list of weasel words that I can. For I, sure. I, I basically, whenever anyone at Bulletproof uses one with me, I'm like, oh, cut that yeah. out. Like we're not going to yeah. try to do it. We're either going to do it, 
we're not going to do it. We might sure. work on doing it and sure. not know if we're going to succeed. Sure. But I don't want you to try because you've already presupposed failure. And, and like, sure. if that's a weasel way of saying I'm not really going to do it because it's not going to work. You know, and, and words have such power. I mean, we focus a lot of attention on, on the neuroscience of language, right, phrases. So, so that, that does matter. So no, it totally does okay. matter. And, and the difference would be, so in our case, the word try is pilot test. Because okay. we're experimenting all the time. So we use test, and a lot of people like, don't use the word test. I hate test. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, but I mean, but I mean piloting. Right. And so try for us would mean we're going to test it. Okay, got as it. As opposed to attempt it. Yeah. Like, because then now I bring in, well, what if we fail? Now, like, trying just means we're going to yeah. put it in the lab and see what happens. And it's like if I said, look, I really want you to edit this episode so that the sound quality is really good. Correct. And if... But if you say, I'll try it. Yeah, if Brock says, I'll try. It's like, actually, Brock, I want you to do it or tell me it can't be done. But don't, don't try. No, no, we'll bring in the person who can do it. And Brock wouldn't say that anyway. But, but like, like it's that level of of things. So I I don't know, maybe I'm (laughs) oversensitive to that. And that's really what I'm asking you. But I I think, I think what you do with, and words, you know, words are really interesting. They they both get tired. So some words in the English language, they get, they get used enough. You shouldn't use them anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. The, in in the, the organizational world, the word empowerment, I mean, it, it, yeah. it's sort of, Yawn. no one wants to be empowered anymore. Yeah. It's just, That's actually it, one of my dreams since I was a child to be empowered. I know. It's just sounds <laughs> like, no. No. <laughs> and we, and remember the morning we, we jumped out of bed and wanted to be empowered. Did I tell you my new Optimal <laughs> Empowerment <laughs> Summit? Right. I know. Yeah, it sold out immediately, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's it's perfect, Dave. But, but that ability then to say when someone uses a word, and it's very personal, you know, words that set off a, a, a little alarm for you. Just the question, if someone else uses the word, you want to know how are you using it. Okay. And, and try was a good example because when we use try, the only way it's acceptable in our world Experiment. is we're going to test. Okay. We're going to test, which that, is good. That's a good use. It okay. is a good use. Yeah. Now we're coming up on the end of the show. Sure. And there's that question that I ask everyone on the show. Okay. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want to kick more ass at life, so I'm going to be better at everything, what are the three most important things I should know? What would you tell them? Mm-hmm. Three first, the three most important things you should know if you really want to kick ass in life starting tomorrow. So you, you yeah, just, have a, just at everything you do. So it, it, it could, you do. could be a you know, stay-at-home parent. It could be a CEO. It, basically, you don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So first priority would be, would be get your top goals really, really straight because everything aligns behind them. We realize looking at every kind of productivity and effectiveness program, the reason that they generally don't work and they don't stick is the brain aligns effectiveness behind top goals. It's just the way we're wired to work. So spend some attention and some time learning how to achieve bigger goals sooner. Align what you're doing around big goals and then your effectiveness will follow. So that's huge, that's the first thing. Second thing is get your heart in the game. I mean, I I, I see, I'm, I'm just amazed at how busy we get and one of the first things I watch leaving people is this emotional engagement with life in the world. And, that, and where passion comes from and the ability to do things that are really compelling to you, um, it's a way to sort what's going on. And then the third point would be keep connecting the near and the far. As you're t- making choices and taking actions now, keep pausing to ask yourself, where does this lead and where does it fit? Because connecting those dots, very few people do it anymore. And when you do, you start to actually, you're able to write this story of this mm-hmm. life you're leading and the leadership that you're creating in this world, the imprint you're leaving on the world very, very differently. So those three things from the get-go will make you, you know, way more effective. Robert, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Where can people find out more about your work? Well, they can find out more if you'd like to tune into our podcast. It's, it's Upwire Hacking Human Nature. 
Uh, we have a leading edge newsletter that we we put out each month. Uh, you know, you could text Cooper to six six eight six six to subscribe to that. The Centerpoint website for all our work, you can tap into the research we're doing is cooper.website. So you can find, you know, each cooper.website. That's actually like a URL. It is a URL. Oh, okay. And you can find the Cooper Neuroscience Lab and Cooper Strategic and the 12 Leaders program there as well. Beautiful. Thanks again. Thanks, Dave. Hey, this is Dave Asprey here at the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in Santa Monica, California. This is where many of the recipes for Bulletproof, the cookbook, were designed. The cookbook is based on the New York Times best-selling book, The Bulletproof Diet. When you eat this way, you have limitless energy, you don't have food cravings, you're not hungry, and you just feel amazing all the time. More willpower and your pants are gonna be looser anyway. When you buy this book, I'm gonna give you a big discount on the book, free shipping, and a bunch of bonus content to teach you how to cook this way so you just have that amazing sense of wellness all the time. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.